The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you know it's time, it's time. And no better time than right now. Three years ago, sitting at this podium, we talked about creating a culture, a winning atmosphere, that we're going to do it our way. We're going to be fast, we're going to be physical, and we're going to be smart. And uh, it's paid off. Mostly, I gotta thank the coaches, man. You guys did it all. I mean, I really didn't do shit. I have a job now, and uh, I kind of love the, t- the title's pretty good. We'll figure out what the hell it means soon, but, <laughs> but it's pretty damn good. But it's a special one because this was my Christmas present from the coaches. I got a whole case of them, and uh, if you notice, the label said, no risk it, no biscuit. Thank you very much, Coach. Thanks, guys. One other thing. It's been great working with you guys in the press. You've been fantastic all over the country, all right? Florio, you can write what you want. It's okay. <laughs> Oh, wow. How about that? What are you doing here today? What are you doing here today? I thought it was Shereen. (laughs) Yeah, what are you too, Mike? Yeah. Did I miss something? Do I have to check my... Apparently you did. Yeah. Apparently I did. Yeah, I did. Wow, I thought it was Shereen today. What happened to Friday? Well, Shereen was having some uh, technical difficulties, so they pulled me off the bench. Hello. Welcome to the Thursday edition of PFTPM. That's usually the Thank way you. you open the show. Thank yeah. you. Well, yeah, I did. I, and the other guy is Mike Florio, who uh, Bruce Arians shouted out at the end of his press conference today. Let me tell you something. Your last act in decades of coaching, your final press conference as you walk off into the sunset, <laughs> you exit, and then you come back to say more. You actually come back to say thanks to all of you, not just you, but you know, nationwide and then Florio, you can write whatever you want. I don't give a crap. I'm surprised you didn't say I don't give a SH dash T. I thought of you a couple of minutes ago because Michael Smith, I don't know if you saw the t-shirt. Awesome t-shirt. Awesome t-shirt. Back to the future reference. Oh. I'm telling you, you gotta, you gotta watch back to the future. Um, a great, great t-shirt though. So, uh, great. How are you? How, uh, but when we just talked the other day, it feels like two days feel like two weeks in today's NFL, especially everything that's gone on the past 24 hours. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, it's no doubt. I mean, listen, I'm just happy to be back in Southern California where there are no reptiles outside my window. Got in last night, went straight to In-N-Out, got myself a nice double-double with raw onion and chopped chilies, and um, I'm, I'm good, man. I just had to get Southern California back in my system after, you know, a few days in Florida. Yeah, well, it uh, it was a productive time, especially since I didn't have to go. Thank you for carrying the flag mm-hmm. on my behalf. And look, the, the news that was kept under wraps the whole time everyone was in Florida, no one saw this coming. The Bruce Arians resignation slash retirement. Hey, I had heard on the day that Tom Brady came back within two hours afterward, the next shoe to drop is Arians is going to be out, that this is part of what Brady wanted. And 
Of course, they denied it. I'm surprised it wasn't a bigger topic today. I think there was one reference to the fact, well, Tom's here, so that must mean there was no friction. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? The fact that Tom Brady showed up for the final press conference means there was no friction? Are you kidding me that you would come to that conclusion? Are you kidding me that you would just presume that that means there was no friction? I was blown away by that. I know I'm probably saying too much. Oh, you shouldn't be a jerk. I'm just sorry. We can either deal in the truth or we can deal in baloney. I prefer to deal in the truth, Miles. Oh, I mean, he was there. So, you know, Mike, I mean, that's going to mean that there's no friction. Of course. He's sitting in the front Are row you like kidding me? No. I'm are not. you kidding me? I'm sorry, Sarah Walsh, but are you kidding me that you think just because he was there, it means there were no problems between the two guys and his return didn't hinge in any way on Bruce Arians not being the head coach? Are you that naive that you would think that? Are you that naive? Sorry. Listen, I mean, you know, it's something that, you know, we could all think, right? Did Brady say, you know, I'll come back if somebody rids me of this meddlesome priest or not? And it's not just you who's saying this. This is coming out of Boston, too. Ben Valen of the Boston Globe literally wrote an entire piece today that was said that Tom Brady's latest win is getting Bruce Arians out as head coach. So, I mean, like, we can say that just because Brady was there, there means there's no friction. Or we can say, like, look, they're keeping up appearances. They're being polite. But just because you're polite doesn't mean that there's no friction at all. I think that we we can all be adults about that, right? I mean, there's a difference between being an adult and being a child and being petulant and saying and acknowledging the fact that, yes, Bruce Arians certainly had something to do with Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl when he went down there to Tampa Bay and they got it done. I, I mean, they're always going to be tied together because of that. But just because that happened and just because Tom Brady made a nice Instagram post and he was there at the press conference does not mean that there were zero issues between those two men. I, I'm not going to go that far. Let me put it this way. Plenty of people attend the funerals of those that they hated. I'd attend right? your funeral. That's right. <laughs> Proving my point exactly. <laughs> that there are certain appearances that must be maintained for a variety of reasons. It would have looked horrible if Tom Brady, who lives Absolutely. in Tampa, had not been there today. Right. And again, I, I just prefer to reside in a world of fact and reality, not in a world of naivete and Pollyanna-ish reactions to superficial gestures aimed at throwing people off of the very real scent. And the scent is very real. The mere fact, this dawned on me last night, the mere fact that Tom Brady unretires and 17 days later his head coach leaves, and he doesn't even bat an eye about it, and there's never even any conversation by anyone, boy, Tom Brady's going to be pissed. There was way more talk about Aaron Rodgers being pissed about Devontae Adams being traded Yes. Then there was about uh, there was no talk about Tom Brady being upset that Bruce Arians was walking away. And I think we may be underestimating Bruce Arians value to the Buccaneers. Great point made earlier today by Chris Sims. You know, Arians, very good game day coach. Coaches, as I said earlier, are like long snappers. You only notice them when they put the ball over the head of the punter. You only notice a coach when he does something stupid. When he does what he's supposed to do, we don't notice it. You know, then there's the high-level Bill Belichick intentional safety and free kick and all this weird stuff. But the the between-the-buoys head coach that doesn't mess up his own clock management, doesn't ice his own kicker, doesn't do dumb things to hurt his chances to win games, we don't notice that. And we may have taken that for granted with Bruce Arians. That's game day. The rest of the week, different story. But game day, 
that may be not as easy for the Buccaneers to replace as they think, Miles. Uh, that's true. And I think it goes back to his time, not just with Arizona, but also that year with the Colts when he served as the interim head coach while Chuck Pagano was out, right? I mean, we were talking about him not just calling plays and doing things like that, but he also was able to manage the clock well. And that's something that you know, we've talked about for a long time with Bruce Arians. And he wasn't even calling the plays down there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But like I said, even when he was, whether it was with the Colts or with the Cardinals, you really didn't hear any of that stuff about, oh, my gosh, what is he doing with the timeouts? What is he doing here in this situation? I mean, really, the last kind of coaching mistake, if you want to call it that, and I'd say that with air quotes, is maybe like not overruling the cover zero that they yes. ran against the Los Angeles Rams in that playoff game. That That's one thing that maybe we can point to. But, I mean, at the same time, that's him trusting his defensive coordinator in Todd Bowles and, frankly, Todd Bowles has also been very, very, very good at calling defenses, particularly since, you know, he's been back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and under Bruce Arians um, after his stint as the Jets head coach. So I, I, I think that you're right in saying that, yeah, that's something that game management element, that is something that they could miss going forward. Yeah, and uh, we just assume that everything's going to be the same. The betting odds have not changed on any metric for the Buccaneers. Winning the division, winning the conference, winning the Super Bowl, they're all the same. I just don't know that we should come to that conclusion. I think if I'm the Rams, I feel pretty good about this. I feel pretty good about this because Bruce Arians was a very good game day coach. And the problem ultimately was he was semi, if not mostly, retired. And this applies in any organization miles if all of a sudden i decided i was only going to work two hours a day on pft and you and the other writers would know it and then if i wasn't rowing as hard as everyone else and i show up and i start saying oh this is stupid you got to do this no do it no 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 natural human resentment will emerge and i think that's what happened plain and simple Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich busting their asses to put the offense together each and every week. Bruce Arians not there, elbow to elbow, doing it. And then you throw in what Rich Hornberger said. And I'm telling you, I know you're not supposed to out sources. Rich Hornberger and A.Q. Shipley are thick as thieves. They go back to Penn State. They are close friends. There's no secret about it. And Shipley's on the Buccaneers coaching staff. So at a minimum, before Rich Hornberger starts spouting off all this stuff about friction between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians on Twitter, at a minimum, he's checking with A.Q. Shipley to make sure he's not barking up the wrong tree. So when Hornberger starts talking about Arians coming in and redlining game plans and it's going to piss people off. That is human nature. Why are you messing with our work? You're out golfing or doing whatever other than working. We're here working. Don't mess with our work. So now that Todd Bowles is the head coach, Todd Bowles isn't going to mess with the offensive work. It's going to be Leftwich, and it's going to be Brady. It's going to be exactly what they wanted in that common, I mean, common sense, circumstantial evidence, whatever you want to call it. It isn't very difficult to get from point A to point B. It's the only explanation that makes sense. If anything... Arians would be rejuvenated by Tom Brady coming back. He was staring at a year of uncertainty, which was likely going to be his last year as a coach. Who's the quarterback going to be? I don't know. Is it going to be Baker Mayfield? I don't know. Are we getting Deshaun Watson? I don't know. I don't know who we're going to get. Oh, Tom Brady's back. Well, I'm out now. I, that, that makes no sense. Anyway. Well, unless you believe what he's saying about succession plans and leaving the place in a better place than he found it and you know i mean i'm just going by what he said right if we take his words at face value then tom brady coming back makes him say well 
Now I can leave. And now I have a succession plan. And that's more important to me than going into the Hall of Fame. And it's more important to me than anything else. Because the last time I left a head coaching job, I thought that I had you know, set my guys up very, very well. And turns out I didn't really do that. Right. You know, you bring in Steve Wilkes and he gets fired after only one year and then they bring in Cliff Kingsbury. Right. And so all of that stuff and basically he's saying like my assistant coaches who mean so much to me, which I, I, I believe him when he says that his assistant coaches mean a lot to him. I really do because he's shown that throughout his, the course of his career. Right. So he's saying that his assistant coaches mean so much to him and he wants to set them up. Well, I do believe him when he says that, but at the same time, but, the timing of this is still weird. It's not like we see coaches all the time leave their positions in late March. Like That's weird. I, I think we can all agree. It's, it's a little weird, despite whatever we want to say about Tom Brady coming back and how Arians wants to set up guys and all that. Like It's weird to leave your position a month before the draft after you've already gone through the combine, after you've already gone through all these different things, the timing of this is odd, no matter what you want to say about it. Yeah, you've put in a lot of work in crafting the next season. Each year is its own house. You've already built the foundation for the next house, and now you are walking away while the work is still in progress. He said that I can write what I want. I assume he also means I can say what I want, so I'll continue to do that. Let's hear what he had to say about the timeline (laughs) Miles, you may be attending my funeral sooner than you ever realized. Here is Arians <laughs> talking about the timeline of his decision to walk away now. Thought about it after the season, but again, it, it wasn't right. Um, obviously, going through the combine, going through all that process, um, trying to build next year's team without Tom. But then when Tom said he'd come back, it's like, now it's, now it's easy. Now it's easy. We're in the best shape we've ever been. Uh, It's no better time to pass the torch than now. I don't know what February brings, all right? But I know what today brings, and it makes me really happy. When we talked to you at the Combine, you were so excited about this upcoming season. You were even talking about some of these younger guys, uh, whether it's Gabbard or Trask. Did did it change between the Combine and now uh, your decision to step away? Yeah, because at that point in time, I had to be excited. You know, it was, it was about building this next team. And when every year is different, I, a lot of it changed when Tommy decided he was coming back. And uh, so then it was, hey, it's time. It's time to pass this torch. Okay. I, 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 yeah. I mean, if you're already not – because this is what's been explained to me in the past. Like – I raised maybe late in the 2021 season the idea that, well, Bruce Arians maybe walks away after this year. And whoever I was talking to about it said, why would he? He's got it made. He's got it made. He's not grinding. He's not busting his ass. He's got Tom Brady. As long as he's got Tom Brady and he's got a lifestyle that is conducive to his desires, why would he do it? So, look, I I think the bottom line is, and I got to give Jason Light a ton of credit here because my guess is – Jason was the one who sat down and presented this plan to Bruce Arians. And I think Arians recognized. And I got to give Arians credit for for not making it awkward, not making it ugly, not making it contentious. This is a win. I'm still with the team. 
I get to create this impression of succession. If somebody texts me during the show, he had so much power he can pick a successor? Really? Right. After three years as the head coach, they've abdicated their power to determine who the head coach is to Bruce Arians? He has that much? If he has that much power, why is he leaving? (laughs) Really? So I think they came up with a narrative that he would buy into. And that would be the right way for him to walk off into the sunset. And if they win the Super Bowl this year, he gets a second ring. And he gets to say he was partially responsible for it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I do think that this whole idea of succession is weird. You know, it's not an HBO show. This is an NFL franchise. And so, like, the the entire premise of, like, succession is extremely important to me. It's not something that we usually hear with head coaches in the NFL. And usually ownership is the one that gets to determine like, Hey, this is how we want our franchise to be. This is how we want our franchise to look like. And if the Glazers are really, really good with the way that um, Bruce Arians has crafted a culture and instilled winning. And obviously they probably should given the fact that they won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady and made it to the divisional round and has staged a really good comeback in that divisional round against the Los Angeles Rams um, this year. Like, I mean, I get that, but at the same time, it's, like I said, it, it's all it's all a little weird to me. Yeah. Let's hear from Arians on how succession was important to him, and then we'll have some thoughts about how this succession plan, number one, came together. Number two, more importantly, why the NFL allowed it to happen. Here's Arians. number of people have already asked, why are you stepping away from a chance to go to the Hall of Fame and win another Super Bowl? Because I don't give a shit about the Hall of Fame. Secession. It's way more important to me. This has been my dream for a long time. Guys that know me, they knew I wanted one of my guys to take over. And that's more important to me than anything. And have a place where I could go and be welcome back. When, when you were able to assemble the coaching staff upon your original hiring, um, was that a discussion that you and Todd had had? Was that something that you had understood between the two of you that at, at some point you had hoped to give it specifically to him? No, because I really thought he was going to be a head coach after the Super Bowl. And then this past year. So um, it's long overdue. Um, just that, you know, watching the hiring process this last year and Byron going through what he did and Todd, um, very fortunate for me that we could do it today. And, uh, but yeah, we do have an unbelievable coaching staff. We've got at least four or five guys and maybe six or seven young guys that I think will be head coaches in this league one day. Okay. Now, This is a guy who traditionally has no filter whatsoever, does not hold any thought within his brain. Why, why did he not say at any point over the past few years when he was lobbying publicly for Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich to get head coaching jobs elsewhere? Why did he never even utter the thought, one of them should probably stick around because I want to hand the torch to them? Why was that never mentioned? And I'm, I'm just, I'm curious about that. If, if, Succession is more important to you than getting to the Hall of Fame. And I don't know that a second Super Bowl win would have gotten Bruce Arians to the Hall of Fame. He's got 80 career victories, maybe because he's likable and curses a lot. One slipped through the goalie there. You know, he was dropping S-bombs left and right today as Miles texted me. Kids got to learn sometimes. So uh, I, I just – I don't get – the idea that all of a sudden, out of the blue, succession 
becomes the end-all, be-all for Bruce Arians' career when he never previously said, hey, one of these guys should probably hang around because when I'm done, I want to try to hand the reins to them. I don't think he's ever said that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time today. Wouldn't be the first time this show that I was wrong. But you would think. Including about who was co-hosting. You would think, Miles, not Shireen, but Miles, you would think that that we would have that, like, immediately. We would know that's a priority. Like, with Sean Payton, we know, oh, he wants to coach the Cowboys someday. We know that. That's baked into our understanding of who Sean Payton is. It would be baked into our understanding of who Bruce Arians is if we knew instantly, yeah, you know what? The most important thing to him is walking away and giving the, the keys to the team to one of his guys. That was not widely known, if known at all, as one of his objectives. Oh, we, we keep if, talking much about less his top objective. Right, 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 right. And I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe anybody if they say they don't care about the Hall of Fame. I think everybody would love to have some sort of football immortality. And that's not, it sounds really good, you know, when Bruce Arians says that. But I, I, I mean, I think everybody cares about the Hall of Fame on some level, who is, whoever is involved in the sport. And that's fine. I mean, they, they get to. And it's nice that they're going to induct him into their ring of honor with the Buccaneers um, after just three years as a head coach, but he also won a Super Bowl there. Right. So that's also good. But I mean, we keep saying the word succession, man. I'm like hearing piano chords in my head. And honestly, I wish that, you know, Arians had just gone full Brian Cox and like started telling people to F off in the press conference. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if I'd have been in the room, I'm sure I would have heard that at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Like you did earlier this week. Um, yeah, well, you deserved it. Use the gift. You used the gift. Well, I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was, it was a low blow. Making any reference to the relocation of the Browns, which transmogrified into the Ravens, that is, I know, an area where I'm going to get a profane response. Okay, the other angle of succession that still is confusing and confounding to both of us. Yes. This previously unknown Rooney Rule exception that allows a team – to move on from a coach or the coach to move on after March 1 with the Rooney Rule to not be complied with at all and a permanent hire to be made, not an interim hire through the end of the season, and then you do your search after the season, which is what I would have assumed the rule was if the Rooney Rule doesn't apply. But the Rooney Rule doesn't apply. And the Buccaneers violated the Rooney Rule here because you're required to have two interviews of minority coaches who aren't currently working for the team. And it's not just we want to promote hiring in this vacancy we want minority candidates to get opportunities to interview we want news stories on the ap wire so and so got an interview to be the head coach of the buccaneers that's part of why they do it but now we know that jerry jones could roll out of bed tomorrow morning and say i've had enough of mike mccarthy dan quinn's my head coach succession succession Dan Quinn's the new head coach, or Sean Payton's the new head coach, and I don't have to worry about the Rooney rule. And you know what? It would be a PR nightmare, but so is the Deshaun Watson contract that only pays him a million in base salary this year and lets him circumvent the spirit of getting suspended and giving up significant money when you're suspended. It was a PR blowback, but the rules allow it. There'd be a PR blowback for the Cowboys, but the rules allow it. He could do it right now if he wanted to. He could call Mike McCarthy during his show and say, Mike, you know what? You're out. Sean Payton's in. And that's it. That, I just, that should not exist. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with you, Mike. It, it's, it's a process versus result thing, right? I mean, I can like the result 
of Todd Bowles being the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do. I think he definitely should have a second shot at being a head coach in this league. And kind of like Arian said, I mean, look, if you look around the league and look at what Bowles did with that defense in the last few years, yeah, he should have earned one of these head coaching vacancies um, that's been open. But I think when you look at the way this came about, it's like if if Dennis Allen had become the, the Saints head coach in March, right? And Sean Payton decides, you know what? I'm done with this in mid-March. And then Dennis Allen becomes the head coach there for New Orleans without any sort of compliance with the Rudy rule. What would we be saying today? So it's not, it would be more about, wow, the the NFL has so much systemic racism and they didn't even, you know, consider how the Rooney rule could be subverted with this kind of thing. And like people would be right to say that. And so again, I think that we can like the fact that Todd Bowles has earned another opportunity to be a head coach in this league. And he's set up extremely well. Like I said, I, I don't have anything against Todd Bowles being the head coach. I really don't. But it's the process of how you get there that I think is a little bit problematic when you're just able to subvert the Rooney rule and kind of do whatever the hell it is that you want. Like, there are rules to this, and there are reasons why there are rules to this. So if I'm the Saints, I'm kind of looking at this, and I'm like, wait a minute. We basically went through our own succession process, but we interviewed external candidates. We interviewed people that were of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization. Right. And they interviewed Aaron Glenn, who was of the Saints organization, but is now with the Detroit Lions as their defensive coordinator because they knew that they wanted to keep that culture, but they still had a clear, open and uh, a clear and open search for that head coaching role. So I, I just think that this is not usually the way that these things are supposed to go. I just I don't like this loophole that exists now here that we know about in the Rooney rule. When I saw the tweet last night from Tom Pelissero of NFL Media with a screenshot of the language of the tampering policy that slams the door on interviews of assistant coaches on other teams, it doesn't slam it completely. What it does is after March 1, it allows other teams to say, sorry, no, you can't interview our offensive coordinator, our defensive coordinator, and our assistants. It's voluntary at that point. Well, who's going to volunteer? The roster's at least the coaching staffs are locked. The rosters obviously aren't locked, but the coaching staffs are locked after March 1. But when I saw that, I realized there's something about this that isn't right. And I asked the league, surely this can't be right. And they explained to me what they have explained to many others, that after March 1, because teams can now say, sorry, you can't you can't interview our assistant coaches. The Rooney Rule doesn't apply. And my response was, okay, you know what this means then. Jerry Jones can fire Mike McCarthy after March 1 and hire Sean Payton. Can he do that? And I expected the response to be, we don't comment on hypotheticals. They didn't even respond. They ghosted me. What, what a shock. What a shock. That's what they do when they don't want to answer my question. Isn't that infantile? You ask a question that they want you to ask on a topic where they want the response to get out there, and they can't respond soon enough. You ask them a question on something that they don't want to answer, and they ignore you. I mean, that really is, and I I do plenty of childish, petty things, but that really is childish and short-sighted to not even give someone the courtesy of a response, to not even say, we don't comment on hypotheticals or, well, we wouldn't allow that to happen or something, because it is the obvious implication of what was done here. And it, it bolsters the notion that I have discovered and believed for years now, the NFL does what it wants, when it wants, how it wants, period. And in this case, it's very Machiavellian. We have another black coach. 
So however we get there, it doesn't matter. Even if it means along the way the Rooney rule was ignored. Even if it means that two minority candidates did not get from external sources an opportunity to interview for the job. Doesn't matter. We're able to say, at a time we're being sued by Brian Flores, we flipped another job from coaches white to coaches black. So we're fine with that. And we're fine with every implication that flows from it until Jerry Jones fires Mike McCarthy and hires Sean Payton. Then it'll be an issue that they have to fix. That's how it'll go. If and when anybody ever does it and the new coach is white, the NFL is going to say, well, we can't have that. And they'll either stop it from happening or they'll change the rule then. Yes, yes. I mean, that's to me, is pretty obvious about the whole thing. But also, I mean, what what team would really say, I mean, I guess unless it's a divisional rival, what team is really going to prevent somebody from interviewing for a head coaching job at any point? Because all you're going to do at that point is kind of create some resentment, right? That's at least the way I would think of it. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the whole thing is strange, and the reason it's strange is they have a strange rule that's in place here. And what should have happened is, after March 1, if you can't do a full search, the replacement should be interim for this yes. year, and then after this year, there will be a search. And maybe Todd yes. Bowles has the inside track at that point, not a five-year contract. That is what just doesn't add up to me, and it doesn't seem like good business for the NFL. Let's finish this segment where we started it, the whole Tom Brady, Bruce Arians whatever the relationship was. But since Tom Brady was there, everything's fine. Here's Bruce Arians talking about his relationship with Tom Brady. Get your ass on the golf course, man. I'm getting broke. Uh, no, we have a great relationship. I mean, uh, at all the players who are – there are a few in here. Every one of them's gotten cussed out, all right, including him. So that's just part of me, you know. So uh, that, that's nothing new. But we have a great relationship. I mean, as soon as he retired, I think we text every week. Hey, where are you at? What are you doing? When are you going to play golf? Uh, when are you getting back down this way? And uh, so <laughs> people got it right. I mean, and uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, these are all things that you can still experience in a relationship where there is strain and where there is friction and where the working aspect of it is no longer working. You can still be friendly with someone that you can't work with. That's what That's true. Bruce Arians' entire position in this context presumes that if you have any issue at all with the professional relationship that means you must hate the person and not associate with them at all there are some people that I've encountered over the course of my professional life and I'm not going to name names you get to a point where I like the person but I just can't work with this person anymore I could give you I could give you enough examples to fill up a whole show and I probably could find enough that would say about me, I like him, but I can't work with him. We could fill up a whole show with that, or even more of, I don't like him and I can't work with him. That's entirely mm -hmm. possible as well. But mm -hmm. please, please don't rush to disagree with me. But oh, I my know point the last is, one. You, you forget I was at the league meeting this week, so, you know. Uh, my, 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 my point <laughs> is, but, but let me, let's, let's be real. You were at the league meeting. And you were yeah. able to hear all those people talk crap about me. Have I even asked? I don't care. Do you think I care? Do you? Have, no, have, hey, what they say about me? I don't give care. a shit. I don't oh, care. Boy, if Bruce is. Arians can say it, I can Woo. say it too. All right. Okay. Sorry. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? <laughs> I don't know anymore. Kids got to learn sometime. <laughs> Kids got to learn sometime. Well, listen, I mean, I have wore, I have been in professional relationships too, where it's like I really don't like that person. But yeah, when the the camera comes on and. 
This fortunately is not an example of this, at least not yet, but we have to have some sort of professional chemistry. You know, you have to at least look like you might as well like each other, or you can still work with each other when you're on camera or when you have to write something or when you're doing whatever you have to do. So yeah, I don't, I mean, whether it's professionally you can get along and personally you can't, or personally you can and professionally you can't. Like these, these are things that happen all across America in every single business that you can think of. So I, I would assume that it can also happen in the NFL as well. Yeah, I think that it's very difficult to have professional chemistry if you don't have personal chemistry. Like, I know for me, I, well, maybe it is for you, but I know for me, if I didn't like you, this would be difficult for me, and it would be drudgery for me, and I would, I would hate and dread every time that you and I are doing this, and I would be unpleasantly surprised when you show up on a day I thought it was going to be Shireen instead of pleasantly surprised as I was today. But the flip side is much more easily true. There, is, there yes. are people you can like, but you just can't work with them because of some professional issue. This person doesn't work as hard as I do. This person doesn't view the business the same way I do. It's not as important to them as it is to me. I'll go golfing with them. I'll hang out and drink some rum or avocado tequila and smoke a cigar or smoke whatever Tom Brady would smoke. I don't know what he would smoke. I don't know what I doubt that the TB12 method allows for smoking anything, frankly. But, you know, that you can still be friendly with somebody that you can't work with. Right. So yes. that, that's I, I again, I just I I uh, I'm not a fan of BS. And I think from time to time over the years, B.A. has got a little B.S., and and uh, that that's that's why he and I have friction professionally because I'm not just going to be a lap dog and and wave pom poms and just soak it all up and agree with everything he says. That's not my role. It never has been. It never will be. And if people have a problem with it, it's their problem, not mine. I think that's a mic drop on the segment. I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to add after that. Let's take a break. I'll try not to curse anymore. I apologize. Lord, I apologize for using a word that we heard Bruce Arians say in a soundbite earlier this same segment. When we return, the Rams once again going all in. More PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Bobby Wagner, now... Oh, I like this. Rams, we'd like to buy a vowel. They go from Teddy KGB to Vanna White and Pat Sajak. Bobby Wagner to the Rams. We'd like to buy a vowel, and they have Bobby Wagner, and they're buying that vowel for five years, $50 million, worth up to $65 million. This is going to be another one of those, Miles, that yeah. the truth is going to paint a very different picture. They are not giving mm-hmm. him $50 million over five years. I bet this is a two-year deal worth between 15 and $17 million. He wanted one year, $11 million. So he gets $10 million average. I suspect it's backloaded. I suspect there's some fluff in there. 
all aimed at creating a good impression, creating a good headline, five years, 50 million. The information robots won't say, well, you know, it's probably not that rich. We'll get the truth in a couple of days, and by then no one will care anymore. That's how it goes. We see it time and again. Well, yes, especially when it's a player who is negotiating their own deal, right? I mean, this is what we were talking about a couple of days ago with Lamar Jackson and Richard Sherman negotiated his own deal and Russell Okung had negotiated his own deal. So we'll see exactly what this thing looks like. But I, I think that Bobby Wagner going to the Rams is a good thing for both of these parties. I mean, the Rams now invest in a linebacker who's a veteran, but who knows that NFC West division extremely well, still playing at a pretty high level. I mean, is he going to be the Bobby Wagner who had his hair on fire in like 2013, 2014, 2015, when the Legion of Boom was still the Legion of Boom? Maybe not, but he's so smart as a linebacker, knows how to diagnose things off the line of scrimmage once the ball gets snapped, that he's still, I think, going to be very, very productive for Los Angeles. And I suspect this is a real contract from the standpoint of if it wasn't, Bobby Wagner would have just waited. Why not wait if you're not getting real money? This is probably real money. It's probably the best he was going to see, and he recognized that this is the best he's going to get. And the Rams may have said to him, We've got other guys that we're going to sign. We've got other things we're going to do with this money. We need to know what you're going to do. We need you to be all in now because we just can't leave this this package, whatever the details may suggest. We can't leave it on the table indefinitely. And the Ravens were in on Bobby Wagner. The Cowboys were not bashful about saying they weren't interested, even though Dan Quinn has that longstanding connection to Bobby Wagner back to the days of the Legion of Boom. But now you've got three Great players, one at every level of the Rams' defense. Aaron Donald, Bobby Wagner, Jalen Ramsey. And, and look, Wagner is on the back nine. He may be moving toward the 17th green. But still, at a time when the NFC generally is weakening, the Rams go out and they add a piece that makes their defense better. And they got to be feeling good about that. You know, we spent so much time last year – presuming the Buccaneers were going to repeat. There's been very little talk about the Rams winning back-to-back championships. When you look at the NFC right now, and hey, there's no guarantee they're going to beat the best team out of the AFC, but I think the Rams are the best team in the NFC, Miles. Well, I think there's certainly an argument for that, yeah. I mean, you can look at the Buccaneers and say that they, on paper, maybe appear to be, but the Rams have gotten the best of the Buccaneers every single time they've played since Tom Brady has been there in 2020. For whatever reason, the Buccaneers have a bad matchup whenever they face the L.A. Rams now. So, I mean, yeah, I think if even if you're taking Robert Woods away from that roster, and Robert Woods has been instrumental in the Rams' success since he got there and Sean McVay got there, in 2017, if they mentioned that in his press conference there um, down there at the league meetings, along with Andrew Whitworth, who was the, one of the first free agent signings that they had, all right, you're adding somebody in Allen Robinson who you know is going to be healthy from day one. All right, Robert Woods is still coming off that ACL. And so being able to, prepare, to, to play um, with Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup, and you add Van Jefferson to that, perhaps you also add Beckham to that as well, and he might not be ready until even the postseason, but still, I mean, that, you're looking at what's right now a pretty decent receiving core and enhancing that with somebody like Robinson. I think that's great. You look at the other side now and you get Bobby Wagner. They also have a guy in Ernest Jones who they really like 
as a linebacker, you can help continue his development and who better to learn alongside than somebody like Bobby Wagner, who's played the defense at such a high level for so long, particularly in that division. So I, I do like this move for the LA Rams. Cause like you said, I mean, it gives them elite guys at every single level of the defense. And even if you're missing Von Miller, you can go out there and find a pass rusher that can pair with Aaron Donald and be pretty good. Aaron Donald has gotten a lot of people paid, especially at edge rusher. Dante Fowler has a thank you note to, to send over to Aaron Donald. All right. Von Miller probably does with the Buffalo Bills after what he's making reportedly. Uh, I think Morgan Fox is somebody that signed a decent contract with the Carolina Panthers last year. So when you play with Aaron Donald, you're probably going to have a pretty good year on defense. And we still have a draft, and I know that the Rams F them picks, but they do a pretty good job of not Fing them picks up later in the draft. They may pick up a guy or two that, <laughs> that falls down to round four, five, or six that they can coach up quickly and is ready to go and can come in and make a difference. So still plenty of offseason left for the Rams and everyone else because of the draft less than a month away. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, the Washington Commander's investigation being conducted by the House Oversight and Reform Committee has taken an interesting turn. There's a couple of reports out there as to what they're doing and what it may mean. And we're going to break it down when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, the Washington Commanders. According to the Washington Post, the congressional investigation has pivoted to potential financial improprieties. Per the post. Now, what does that mean? Front office sports adds some flavor to that, Miles. AJ Perez of Front Office Sports says at least one person familiar with the team's financial health has been interviewed, and the idea is that the committee is exploring whether the commanders used two sets of books. That is a problem if it's happening, and that is the kind of thing that gets people sued gets people indicted. We used to think it gets people indicted. Self-edit, restrain. We used to think things like that got people indicted. Now I'm not so sure that things like that get people indicted because there are investigations Uh, like that going on that aren't getting people indicted who maybe should be indicted, and I don't understand it. But, But two sets of books is, in theory, the kind of thing that causes someone to do a perp walk. So this is very alarming to me as an outsider, and I would assume it's very alarming to Daniel Snyder as the one who would be the ultimate focus of any question of whether or not there was any book cooking going on by the commanders. Well, obviously, yes, and it it, it always seems to be something with this organization, right? And you know, Ron Rivera was talking about it this week. Like, it's it's the only way to kind of cure the perception of what the commanders are as an organization is to start winning. And even if he does that, I don't know if that's really going to be the case as long as Daniel Snyder remains the owner of that team based on all of the different allegations that have come out about this team in the last few years. It is just one thing after another. And so, yeah, I don't, we don't quite know where this is going to lead. But there you see Daniel Snyder. I mean, he's on the stage introducing what the new team brand is, the new team name. He's got all these nice little varsity jackets on there, even though he is, according to Roger Goodell, not involved in the day-to-day operations of the team any longer. So what's it going to be? I mean, what's the next shoe to drop 
for Washington and allegations. It just, like I said, Mike, it always seems like there's something with this team. And there's an item in the Washington Times that suggests that he is involved in the day-to-day operations of the team, notwithstanding the allegations made by Roger Goodell. We posted yesterday, based on a tweet from J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, that there are four committees, four committees that um, Daniel Snyder is still a member of. And I know that it's, it's two different things, four committees versus day-to-day operations. But still, you would think if the guy has been generally excommunicated from running his team, he wouldn't be on these committees. It just it doesn't make sense he has that kind of involvement in that many different committees if he's not really running his team. Something stinks about this. And, look, I'm going to go conspiracy, Mike, here. You can go ahead and put up the, the graphic of me with the cigarette and the short sleeve dress shirt. You can go ahead and do it. I can't help but wonder... How do I put this? Let me just put it. I can't help but wonder whether or not the NFL at some level. I'm just wondering here. I'm spitballing. I'm speculating. Am I expressing opinions? I'm not stating facts. Don't sue me, Daniel Snyder. I can't help but wonder whether if there if there is something like this going on, Miles. Whether or not it's been instigated by somebody within the broader power structure that has decided it's time for this guy to go. And we know things. That we're going to discreetly tell people about because we've had enough of this guy and he's never going to go without a fight. He's never going to go without a fight. So the only way to get rid of him is to give him a bigger fight to deal with than us. We get the feds after him. That will be the ultimate distraction. And that'll be the ultimate way to get him out of here and get him out of our hair once and for all. I feel like I just that's just spider sense. That's all I'm saying. It wouldn't surprise me. There's always a story behind the story. And it wouldn't surprise me if in their desire to move on from this guy, knowing that he would fight them tooth and nail and he would sue and sue and sue and sue and he would never go away quietly, that if you're aware of some stuff he's doing, maybe if there's anything to this, I don't know if there is. If you think you're aware of some stuff he's doing, if you think there may be two sets of books, you solve your problems. Oh, this meddlesome priest or whatever your, your Shakespearean quote that you like to make from time to time. You, you, you find a way to get the meddlesome priest out of your hair by sharing some of the meddlesome priest secrets with the feds that may get them after him. And that's a fight that that distracts him from you. And he leaves if that makes well, any sense at all. And there's a good chance it doesn't. I mean, it kind of did. I don't know that you really got the quote right, but that's all right, Mike. You know, you tried there. Who will Um, rid me of this meddlesome priest? I only know it because I've heard you say it 50 times in the past year and a half. I know. I do say it a lot. It's one of my, like, drawstring phrases that, like, just kind of comes out. And, like, I don't know. But uh, Right after there's a snake in my boots. There's a snake in my boots. (laughs) Yeah. Won't someone rid me of this meddlesome priest? Yes, exactly. Um, There's a a lizard on my ledge. <laughs> yeah, well, somebody get rid of that for me, please, or get me the hell out of Florida. Who will uh, who will rid me of this meddlesome lizard? We can go all night. <laughs> yeah, we could. Uh, you know what this makes me think of when you say that, though? It makes me think of John Gruden, right? Because somebody obviously had access to those emails that had the racist, the sexist, misogynistic, homophobic remarks, and they decided that they were going to leak them to the media. 
with the obvious agenda of getting John Gruden out of his job. Now, we still don't know who did that, but somebody did that. And so that's why it's part of why John Gruden is suing, right? So, I mean, I don't know if what your speculation is is on the right track or not, but that's at least what it makes me think of. And frankly, it comes from the same investigation because that's how John Gruden got outed. Was all was all those emails that came up in the in the investigation of Washington's workplace culture? So, I, I don't know, but that's what it makes me think about. I thought of something else too, since it's Bruce A. Day on PFTPM. A different Bruce A. Bruce Allen may know some things that he may be sharing with us. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not saying I know, but somebody who was there in the organization for all those years and would know plenty of things and has been maybe a target of some of these leaks to make him look bad. There's a theory out there that the Gruden emails weren't leaked by the league. They were leaked by Snyder as retaliation generally against everyone because he's just pissed at the world, and it makes Bruce Allen look bad. It makes John Gruden look bad because he's just pissed off that he got sidelined for X number of months from running his football team. There's a theory out there that that's what happened, and there aren't many people that had those emails. And so, again, when you're talking about this kind of information, if there's two sets of books, there are many people that know about it because it's not something that you declare to the world. There would be a very tight universe of people who are even in a position to know whether or not there are financial improprieties in the Washington Commanders organization. So it's just something else for Daniel Snyder to worry about as he waits for official permission to start running the team that, by all appearances, he still continues to run in some capacity. Let's take a break. PFTPM mailbag to wrap up this Thursday edition of the program. We'll do that right after this. Carson Wentz throwing a little shade, building a higher road. Huh. I am. Uh, ah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, hey, look, uh, he could be a little <laughs> more. I, go, I mean, look, look, Jim Irsay has been uh, very candid, very Super outspoken. Super candid. Yeah. And if it hey, if it if if this is what Carson Wentz needs to snap out of it, to be a better teammate, to be more coachable, to be, this plays into exactly what Washington needs. They need this guy to finally wake up. This is the the fresh prince scenario that that you aptly named a few weeks ago when we talked about how he got kicked out of one family member's house and moved in with his his aunt and uncle in Bel Air. And then, and then uh, he got kicked out of there. When you get kicked out of the other family's house and move in with a stranger, that's when you got to wake up. So, uh, good, good for Carson Wentz, and and I hope I hope he does well. I hope I hope that the Commanders do well with Carson Wentz. I, I like Ron Rivera. People are like, why do you hate the Commanders? I don't hate the Commanders. I mean, all, half the things I say are in the interest of maybe delivering a better ownership structure for your team so you can be more competitive, more competitive than you've been in the 23 years that Dan Snyder has been the owner. All right few quick questions. Neil watches PFT. Do you think the Buccaneers offense will look different without Bruce Arians? Miles, I mean, I I think it will look a lot like what we've seen. It's been evolving toward what Tom Brady is comfortable with. And now there'll be nothing to keep it from being a Tom Brady offense. Absolutely. And I think Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady, by all accounts, work together very, very well. So, I mean, there may be some different things, but I think when Leftwich is still trained by Bruce Arians to be an offensive coordinator, there's still going to be some of that no risk it, no biscuit element to it, right? You're still going to throw the ball down the field at certain points in the game. Uh, So, 
I don't know if it'll look that different. I mean, we're still going to see Tom Brady. He's still going to know how to avoid pass rushers in the pocket and things like that. So, uh, but I think he's still going to look like an elite quarterback just as he has the last few years. JD Sports Radio asks, who do you see the Packers targeting as far as trades for a receiver? Do you think they will stick to the draft and just sign a free agent? I saw talk last week that they were like a plus 500 pick to trade for DK Metcalf. Why would they do that? Why would they, they traded away Devontae Adams? They weren't interested in Tyree Kill at all. Why would they trade for DK Metcalf at a time when he's going to want 25, 26, 27 million a year? It makes no sense. The one guy I think they would trade for potentially is Chase Claypool because you get a year out of him before you have to reconsider his contract. He's not eligible for another deal until after this season. I could see that because if the Steelers don't have a high-end quarterback who can get the ball to Claypool, he may not be real happy there. And if they could get good value for him, and in Kevin Colbert's last year as GM, when he has a proven track record of finding great receivers in the mid to late rounds of the draft, I I would do it. If you could get a high second-round pick, a late first-round pick for Chase Claypool – I would think about it if I was the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a, that's a good call there. I mean, the, the Packers were another team that I would have expected to maybe be in the market for Robert Woods, you know, especially coming off the ACL injury. And he's familiar with that offensive system. Matt LaFleur was the OC of the Rams back in 2017. So they know each other too. So, I mean, that's one that I kind of would have thought that they might be in on, but you know, I mean, now that we see where things are going, I feel like the Packers are probably more like the Chiefs where they value those picks and they want the contractual control of being able to bring in somebody young who can grow with Aaron Rodgers over the next couple of years and you don't have to necessarily worry about paying them big money for a little bit. Julio Jones, Jarvis Landry, Will Fuller, T.Y. Hilton, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, A.J. Green, Sammy mm. Watkins. Mm. AJ Green, OBJ, uh, yeah. AJ Green, Landry. Uh, those are two that seem to fit to me. Uh, there's not nobody really I think that it's, exciting on the market though. I think at this point, you roll your dice on the draft, see who you get there, and yeah. then maybe you revisit free agency. We are done, Miles. Great seeing you. you A too, pleasant man. surprise. Thanks. See you tomorrow morning. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.